a very warm welcome. It's so great to see you, and it's such a privilege to share God's Word with you today. And for those of you that are joining us online, a huge welcome. Can I just share with those of you that are online, at the end of the service, we are planning on having communion together. And if you want to sneak off quickly just to get some bread and some juice or wine, then you are ready for the communion at the end of the service. We are at the moment in Ephesians chapter 3, and we are concluding the first three chapters where Paul is focusing our attention on God, His greatness, His awesomeness. Because in the very next chapter, the very first verse, he says to us, therefore I urge you, and then he starts with 52 different urges, commandments, desires that he has for the church in Ephesus. This portion starts already in verse 1, where Paul said there, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And then Matthew explained it so beautifully last week, he said, Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees. And then he explained to us the mystery that we have in God. And then he comes back and he says the same words again. For this reason I bow my knees before God. For what reason? For what reason? Can I ask you, for what reason? What must God do to you that you will bow your knees before him? I just want you to imagine a little bit Paul's context. He is in prison. He is shackled with a Roman soldier right next to him. And then he goes down on his knees. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before you. For what reason did Paul do that? In the first two chapters, he expresses it in three different ways. He says, first of all, I was lost. I was separated from God, and then he saved me. For that reason is enough. The second one, for his grace and his love, that he will choose me, the one that persecuted his church. He saved me. And then the last verses of chapter two, he says, because he has made us one body, he has made us one family, He has made us one holy temple. For that reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before God the Father. This is the second prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians. The first one was in chapter one. It was a prayer about enlightenment, that we may see God for who he really is. And the second one is a prayer for enablement, to enable us to be his followers, to do his will. He has united us into one body, one family, and one holy temple. And Paul takes that theme further in his prayer. And his prayer focuses on three things. There's three things he asks God in this prayer. The first one is, God, will you please give us strength? The second one is, God, will you please give us love? And the third one is, God, will you please give us your fullness? And I just want us to look at those three shortly this morning, and then we're going to have communion together. 
the first one has to do with being one body. And it's so beautiful how he aligns each one of these prayers with what he has said in the previous chapter. Because we are his body, therefore we need his strength. Because we are one family, we need his love. And because we are his holy temple, we need to be filled with his fullness. Let's look what he said about the body. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory. Can I pause there? According to the riches of his glory. He does not say he gave us from his riches. He says he gave us according to his riches. If I need to give you this morning according to my riches, you're going to walk out very poor. <laughs> Sorry, if I give you from my riches, you're going to walk out very poor. But there is such a vast difference between giving you from what I have and giving you according to my riches. What did God do? He used the example of the woman that came to the temple and she gave the smallest offering possible. And he said to the disciples, this lady has given the biggest offering. She didn't give from her riches. She gave according to her riches. She gave everything. And that is what God did in Christ Jesus. He gave his son. He didn't say, oh, I will send you an angel and he will save you. He didn't give from his riches. He gave according to his riches. And he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you strength, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. One day, my two sons and I, it was a number of years back, we saw a mountain and we were very excited and we decided to climb this mountain. It was a very rough climb. We were almost to the top and then I started shaking like a reed. I thought, what in the world came into me to try and climb this mountain with my two boys? One of us is not gonna make it home today. <laughs> that is how bad it was. And all the regrets and resentments and there we are, close to the top. And my son saw me and his younger brother, the older one, saw me and his younger brother shaking like this. He said, Dad, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. I said, should we not turn around? He says, there's the top. Where do you want to turn around? He was strengthened in his inner being to go all the way, to go to the top. And that is what he's talking about, that we will be strengthened in our inner being through his Holy Spirit, with power, magnificently. Here, I hear many people going every day to strengthen their outside bodies. They go to the gym. To strengthen your outside body, what do you need? You need time. Mostly you also need some smackerini, some money to pay the person. <laughs> you need discipline. Now, I know it's a bad word. We call it today good habits. You need discipline. And then you need perseverance to go through. When your muscles are aching, you don't give up. Your trainer will tell you to push through. 
That is for our outer strength. When we look at our inner strength, we need the same. We need that perseverance, that time, that commitment. You can leave the smackerinis because it doesn't cost anything. You don't have to pay for it. But we need to be strengthened in our inner being. Why? Why do we as a body need to be strengthened? And Paul gives us the answer in the previous chapter. He says, so that we can accomplish the great works he has prepared for us. That is why we as a body need to be strengthened. The second thing that he says, he prays for love because we are one family. And then he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul uses two terms here. The one is an agricultural term, rooted, and the other one is an architectural term that we will be founded, grounded. Let's look at the first one, that you may be rooted in love. When the hurricanes come, and I hope they don't come, then the palm trees, if you notice them, very few of them get blown over. They bend in the wind. They can take a big storm. Why? Because their roots make that they are well grounded. This is the example. To have our roots well grounded, that when the storm comes, we are not blown over in the process. And then the second metaphor that he uses is that we will be grounded. Last Paul mentions this, that we will build on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. In other words, that we will build on the foundation of God's word, that we will live by his love and his promises that he has for us. In other words, that building, that forms the foundation of our love. And when we have those in place, we will not be easily shaken. And then he says in verse 18, may you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. The word comprehend is not an intellectual exercise. It's not something that you can just think about. Comprehend means I have made his love my own. I live that life. It is so part of my life. And then he uses these four dimensions, which is so powerful. It first, and I'm going to start at the end, he talks about the depth of God's love. None of us, no one in this whole world is too deep for God to reach down in his love to save us. You can't be too wicked, too bad, too many murders, nothing, nothing, nothing for God to reach down and save you. But he doesn't just save you and dust you off and say, carry on. The height of that love is he pick you from there and he put you in Christ Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's the height of that love. And then at the cross, he spread out his arms. That is the width of that love. That is the love for his body. That is the love we have for the body of Christ. If you stretch out your arms this morning, you may touch somebody. That is the saint of this family. That is part of the family of God. We need to love one another. 
and then the length of that love. And that's the amazing part of God's family. It's from every tribe, people, language, and nation. John describes this magnificent scene in heaven. He says, I saw them there from every tribe, people, language, and nation. The length of that love reached to the ends of the earth. People need to hear. How can they hear unless somebody preaches? This week, they had the hajj. It's one of the five pillars of Islam that you need to fulfill in your life. Millions of Muslims went to Mecca where they pray for the forgiveness of their sins, where they pray, God, speak to us in dreams and in visions. And God does that. But so few are there to explain those visions to them. And then he says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I love the way that Dr. Donald Barnhouse, he had a radio program that says Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. He pointed out the significance of this love. Listen to this. He says that the fruits of the Spirit is all motivated by love. And they will be on the screen. Can I, I'm going to read slowly through them. Can I ask you to take one of them today and apply it in your life? He says, love is the key. Joy is love singing. Isn't that beautiful? Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. And self-control, this is the one that spoke to me the most, is love holding the reins. For me, so powerful, this love that Paul is praying that we should have. Winston Churchill, the prime minister during the war in Britain, he said these words. He says, I no longer listen to what people have to say. I just watch what they do because behavior never lies. Behavior never lies. May we be so filled with this love because we are a family. Love is not something that you sit back and you receive. Father God didn't sit back and receive it. He gave his, his only son because he loved us so much. Love lies in the fact that I give it. Love is not a feeling. It's an act of my will. It's a decision daily to love and as a family to reach out and to love one another. And then we come to the third one. He prays for fullness. Why? Because we are one holy temple. Fullness means that God's fullness, greatness. What is God's glory? God's glory is not an attribute of God. It is a summary, a putting together of all his attributes. The fullness of God. This is just such a staggering thought that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How in the world is that possible? 
Let's go to two other scriptures and just see if they shed some light on it. Colossians 1.19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And then verse chapter 2, verse 19 of Colossians, he says, For in him, the, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then, beloved, he comes to me and you, and he says, and you have been filled in him. The best way for me to illustrate that is, Karen and I love to sometimes go and walk on the beach. And in the grand scheme of things, we are two mere small specks in front of this vast ocean in front of us. The depth, the width, the length of it, I cannot even tell you. Let that ocean resembles the fullness of God, the greatness of God. How can we be filled with that fullness? If this bottle represents my life and Karen's life, I take this bottle and I hold it in the ocean and I fill it up to the brim. I am filled with the fullness of that ocean. Our capacities are different. We are not all the same. But if this bottle is only up to a third or half or three quarters full, it means there is place for other nonsense in our lives, other sins, other rebellion. And that is why he wants us to live in the fullness of God the complete fullness of him. And now we get to the doxology. Let's just revisit the three. He wants us to be strengthened because we are one body. He wants us to be filled with his love because we are one family. And he wants us to experience his fullness because we are his temple. The world sees us as belonging to God, his holy temple. And then the doxology comes, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This verse is just completely too much. If you think all the others have already had such extreme words of what he wants to fill us with, strengthen us with, love us with, fill us with. Now this verse come and say, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly what we can ask or think. To him be glory in the church. This glory part in this verse is very difficult. Let me tell you why. In Matthew chapter 5, sorry, Matthew, John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus poses a question, and he says to the rabbis, he says to them, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes 
from the only true God. The reason why we do not seek God's glory is because we have already received it from one another, from man. And when we receive it from man, we are mistaken to think that is the real glory. And I love the way that Pastor Edmund Chan explained that. He says, as a result, we have come to promote a showboating, a grandstanding culture, even in the church, a superficial culture that applauds superficial things. And then he mentions four of these superficial things. He says, we are mentored by the world to applaud impressiveness of appearance in a world where things are not what it seems. We are mentored to applaud the impressiveness of accomplishments without regard for genuine authenticity. We are mentored by the world to applaud the impressiveness of associations with little investment for depth in relationships. I know this person, I know this person, I know this person, but there are very few relationships. And the last one, the idolatry of acquisition without knowing the joy of simplicity and knowing the joy of stewardship. We seek to impress and receive glory from one another. We end up in a drivenness that is more about impressing others than seeking God's glory. And then Pastor Edmund says, no, I'm not suggesting that wealth is a crime and that accomplishment is vain, no. He says, I just have one rather simple question. And this question doesn't even come from him, he says. It comes from the Lord Jesus. Whose glory are we seeking? The reason why we do not seek his glory is because we are looking to one another for glory. I would like us to pray together and then we're going to have communion. Our Father, I just want to thank you for this amazing prayer that Paul has taught us to pray. A prayer that helps us to be strengthened in you because we are one body. A prayer to be filled with your love because we are one family. And a prayer for your fullness because we are one holy temple and for your glory. And I pray that you will come and fill us today with exactly those three things. Your strength, your love, and your fullness, please. And Lord, as we come and sit at your table for communion, I pray that you will lead us, please, and that you will meet with each one of us where we are at. And we ask it in Jesus' name, the one in whose remembrance we are doing it. 
Amen. For those of you that may have missed the communion cup, the ushers will come forward and they will just make them available. So just raise your hand and show them if you've missed it, they will give you one. I also want to invite you, if you are a guest, you are welcome to enjoy communion with us. You don't need to be a member of this church to have communion. But you need to be a member of the family of God. You need to be a member of the temple of God. Maybe there are some of you that have never made that decision. Maybe you are still, what I explained this morning, maybe you are still lost, separated from God. Today is a magnificent day to make that choice to follow Him. And you can do that by just saying this very simple prayer. Just close your eyes and just pray with me, please. Our Father, I am lost. I have the image of godliness, but there is no power in my life. I ask for your forgiveness. I repent today. I choose to receive this gift of salvation. I choose to receive the Lord Jesus. Thank you that I may be called your son and your daughter now. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul puts a very stern warning on communion. I remember when we grew up and food was ready, my mom would call us, we are four children, and we all run because we're always hungry. And then in the moment we want to sit down, she said, did you wash your hands? Oh, and then we all make a 180 and we go to the different bathrooms and we clean up. I want to ask you the same question. As we are going to sit at the Lord's table, did you wash your hands? What do I mean by that? He's inviting us to his table with clean hands and a pure heart. Otherwise, Paul was very straight about it. He says, you are drinking and eating a judgment over yourself. He says, for that reason, many of you are weak, sick, and some of you are asleep. You've died. Why is it so important? I cannot partake in the cup remembering his death, his resurrection, his blood that cleansed me and I come with dirty hands and says it has no effect upon my life. It's a contradiction of terms. So let's just pause for a moment and just ask you, just in your own, just say to the Lord, Lord, search me. Know my heart. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Paul wrote at the beginning of the chapter and then verse 14, he repeats the same reason. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee. For this reason. Not because of the cup, but because of what this resembles. Where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Can I ask you just to open the top cellophane 
paper. Don't take the bread, just put it in your hand, please. It's just the top part with a thin film on it. What does this bread resemble today in the light of this passage? As we are going to partake in this bread, resembling His body that has been given for us, is so that we can be strengthened as His body, so that we can experience His love, His death on the cross, that introduce us to unselfish, unconditional love. As this bread becomes part of our lives, so we can live out His love. Let's partake in His bread. Lord, we thank You for Your body that has been given for us. Lord, like Paul, for this reason I bow my knee before you today. I thank you, Lord, for your death, your burial, your resurrection, and your return. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you for filling us with your love. In Jesus' name. Let's open our cups now. Without having to send any of you to the dry cleaners. This cup represents His blood that has been shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. He's asking us to do this in remembrance of Him. He also asks us to do a second thing. He says, we will not drink of this cup again until we drink it together in my Father's house. So communion is not just looking back and say thank you. It's also looking forward with great expectation to the meal we are going to have with our Father. And as we are taking this cup, may we ask Him to fill us with His love, forgiveness, cleansing, so that we can be a holy temple. Let's partake in the cup. Can I invite anyone afterwards, if you feel that you need to spend time with God and need some prayer, please come to the front. We would love to pray with you. Let me pray together and then we're going to close. Clay is going to close us in this magnificent song, The Lamb of God. Our Father, thank you for this tangible way that we can remember your son's sacrifice. You giving according to your riches. I pray, Lord, that we will be so filled with your strength, your love, that we will go and share it with others, please. I pray that this gift that we have from you will be known throughout the world, throughout our nation, throughout our city. Please fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we will be an answer to Paul's prayer, that we will do the great works that you have prepared for us, that we will pour out your love unconditionally, unselfishly,
and that people will see your fullness, your holiness in our lives for your glory. Forgive us that we seek the glory of man for your glory, Lord. Amen.